Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 83, More Than a Thousand Words. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Sabrina as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, before preparing for this episode, I went through all your pictures on Instagram just to have a... Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, all of them, uh, just to get an idea, and uh, I already have a few that I want to talk about, uh, but yes. Oh, great. But before we go into that, well, today we're going to be talking about uh, collecting vintage photos and being a vintage photo collector. But before that, I'm sure people would love to know who is Sabrina. <laughs> well, my name is Sabrina Hughes and I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. I am um, a photo historian. So that means that I went to graduate school for art history and um, kind of majored in history of photography. Uh, weirdly, that's not necessarily why I started collecting vintage photos, although it seems like <laughs> kind of an obvious thing to do, but um, that that alone wasn't it. So um, I am also um, a small business owner and an artist, and I teach at the University of South Florida. That's pretty cool. And of course, you're an artist on top of being a vintage photo collector, which is also an art. So yeah, because you restore them too. I want, oh, I'm <laughs> jumping the gun. I really want to get into this. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned you have a business, and this is a perfect segue for my next question. Do you have any social media links or websites that you would like to share? It doesn't have to be necessarily linked to vintage photo collecting and could be about anything and everything. Oh man. Okay. I do. Yeah. I have a lot of links. I'm, I'm going to just say <laughs> the best one to go to is hello.photoxo and that's spelled P-H-O-T-O-X-O.net. Um, my business is called photo XO, like a, a kiss and a hug for your photos. Aww. And the business is where I help um, individuals and families preserve their family photos. And so that link, hello.photoxo.net, is kind of just a landing page where um, you can get to a whole bunch of other, a whole bunch of other offerings and web presences of mine, including Instagram and including um, the project that came out of this vintage photo collection. That's pretty cool. I'll put that in the description below so people can go check it out. And I know cool. what you mean, having all those links to different platforms and stuff like that. <laughs> I've actually thought of it and I saw somewhere online where you make a business card and you throw in a QR code. So you don't, uh, you, so yeah. when you put it on there, you just have to update the links in that website so you don't have to update your right. business card every time. <laughs> That's very smart. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. I wish I did, but I didn't. But yes, today is not about how to use technology and business cards. Today is all about Sabrina and her passion and passion <laughs> hobby of restoring photos. And you, you kind of touched it before, but how did you actually get introduced to collecting vintage photos and restoring them? Well, okay. So when I started my business, I, I knew that I was going to need a set of images to use for different you know, social media, different marketing, different promotions, and just in blog posts, like basically, I knew I was going to need a whole bunch of stock photos to tell people like, oh, here's what I do. You know, I, I work with your family photos, whatever. So I, I knew I needed a lot of like old family photos, because I obviously didn't want to use my clients photos for that, because that would be rude and unethical. And, <laughs> um, and I didn't want to use my own family photos because it would be very clear after like three or four photos that they were all of me. So I thought, okay, let me just, um, let me just buy some like on eBay. Cause there's always like vintage photos on eBay. And so I bought just a lot of black and white photos and that was really cool. But what really kind of sparked my, my passion was I decided to buy a few slides at the same time. And the slides are really what got me going. Like the old um, 35 millimeter slides have, have just become a kind of a near obsession for me. <laughs> wow. And you've restored all of them that you've had or you still have some in your collection that you haven't restored yet? Oh, I don't restore all of them. Um, I restore them as, as I find a use for them. So there are some that I keep that I never will restore because they're the damage is kind of what I use for, you know, showing people what I can, how I can prevent that in their own family photos. But for the ones that I 
that I've used as a part of this curatorial project that I'm doing, those are the ones that I restore. So I kind of just do that on a on a case by case basis because the restoring um, is not the fun part. The restoring actually can be very time consuming. So it's something that I don't I don't do unless I'm really positive that I want to use that image for something where it needs to look perfect. And sometimes the photos just stay as is and they're beautiful in their own way, right? It's true. It's true. You know, sometimes the color, you know, it's pretty common for old photos for the color to go, especially in slides, because just depending on the film stock, there's so many variables. And so, you know, I know that that the color I see them isn't isn't the true color and isn't the way that that they looked when they were first developed, but sometimes they're, they create these really interesting, you know, kind of surreal sensations of, of a different color palette of life, you know, like, yeah. So, so sometimes it is good to just sort of leave them as they are. I don't know about you, but when I look at like vintage photos where the colors are kind of fading, I haven't experienced that, but I feel like it's nostalgic. It has this nostalgic mm -hmm. feeling to it, even though it yeah. was not even of me. It could have been with my grandparents or something like that. It just has that feeling. Right, right. I mean, they look different. I think anytime we're looking, I think anytime we're looking at something that looks, that's both familiar as photography is familiar to all of us, but that it looks very different, whether it's the clothes or, you know, the way the colors are faded or something like that. I think it, I think it provokes that reaction in a lot of us where we just know that it's it's from a different time now i've had this question swarming my head all day and i didn't want to look up online to find the answer because i said to myself you know what i'm going to speak to you and i feel like it'd be a pretty good question i didn't write it down but what is considered vintage like at what point it's like 10 years ago is not vintage is it 20 30 40 50 what is your definition of vintage that's a really good question. I'll tell you, in terms of what I'm interested in collecting, I'm generally interested in anything through the early 80s. That's kind of where, for me, I mean, I guess uh, I wouldn't say there is a hard and fast definition for vintage. But for me, what interests me is when things, when the subject matter in the picture, so what I'm looking at, when it just looks radically different than what what I'm accustomed to seeing. So for instance, yeah, pictures from 10 years ago, pictures from 20 years ago, and maybe even pictures from 25 or 30 years ago, they don't quite, um, there's not enough differences yet between that picture and real life and what we experience in real life. Does that make sense? No, 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 that absolutely does make what sense. I'm yeah. It? yeah, yeah. So for me, it's really just something, it's just I don't know. It's almost just like a feeling or an aura, you know, something that's really funny to me is to see a lot of pictures from the seventies and sometimes they trick me. Like if, <laughs> if they weren't slides that I knew were dated from the seventies, the styles, the hairstyles are the same. Sometimes the clothes is the same. And right now a lot of the interior fashions are the same, like interior design and house plants. Like there's not, sometimes there's not very much difference between now and then, which is also kind of an interesting juxtaposition that, you know, we all know styles come around, you know, every few decades, but it's really interesting to see how much styles repeat. <laughs> Some things are timeless. They just go out through time yeah, like bald men like me. It goes throughout the generations. <laughs> Actually, this is this also just popped up in my head, but do you ever, let's say when you get a new photo, do you play this little game where you try to figure out what's the exact date? Not day, like day, oh, month, but pro yeah. probably year. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I, I, I like to try and at least pinpoint the decade when I can. And there's a few ways that you can do that. One way is obviously by, you know, if you're, if you happen to get lucky and find a picture that has something in it that you definitely recognize, like, you know, fashion or like ladies clothes, it's kind of really easy to try and pinpoint a decade based on women's fashion because it changed so much. Um, and so quickly it changes a lot faster than men's fashion or cars or something like that, like something that definitively dates it. But sometimes when I'm getting slides, you know, this especially applies to 35 millimeter slides. Sometimes the cardboard like casing or ho holder or whatever, the mount, the cardboard mount that the actual negative is mounted in, 
Sometimes you can date them based on that because the date, if you're lucky, the date might be stamped on it, but otherwise there are certain, not styles, what am I trying to say? Like Kodak, for instance, used to have these slides that had red borders around the outside of the, of the cardboard mount. And they only had that during, you know, between the late 1940s and the mid 1950s, for example. So it's like, even if there's kind no of like limited edition, well, not exactly limited edition. It was just a change in, in their branding identity, I guess you could say. It's just the way that it was, the way that they branded it can, can help in identifying what time period it was from. So sometimes even when I don't have anything else to go by, if it's a red border Kodachrome slide, that's, you know, that that's the branding that's on it, then I can say, okay, I know that this is probably from the fifties, you know, in, and you can even get more specific than that. If you, you know, if you know a little bit more about Kodak's branding, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> how, the, how their branding changed over time, which, you know, that particular doesn't interest me too much but but yeah it is it is interesting like you know you do have to kind of if you're interested in dating them specifically you do have to really kind of have a keen eye and look for clues and then you know try to do some research and and date it based on you know what what you have in front of you that's sometimes all you have to go on that's pretty cool it's kind of like a where's waldo where you're looking at every little detail yeah. to try to put pieces together yes. you got a picture from the 70s yes. but you got something from the 80s like no 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 wait what it's just things that don't right. belong. That's pretty cool. And on that note, uh, what is the oldest photo or picture that you have in your collection? So I have one of the courses that I teach at the University of South Florida is history of photography. So because of that, I tend to collect, I try to collect a variety of photography types so that I can show my students different, very old photo types. So the oldest photo that I have is probably from the 1860s. Wow. And yeah, and it's an it's what's called an ambrotype. So it's a, an image on glass that's in like a, a hard case with a like a gold, you know, gold-toned tin border around it. That's not the oldest medium of photograph. The oldest one is called a daguerreotype. And I don't currently have any daguerreotypes in my collection, but it's, it's, I, I want one. They're not terribly expensive. It's just that I'm kind of picky about what, what kind I want. So <laughs> it's got to be the right subject matter and it's got to be in good shape for me to want to buy a daguerreotype. So, so the ambrotypes are, you know, even early photography was rather affordable to people. So there's actually a lot of ambrotypes, a lot of daguerreotypes that are, you know, kind of circulating out there in the market. And they're collected by museums, they're collected by um, other photo collectors. They're very beautiful objects, like those old, the really old photos from the 1800s are very often not on paper, they can be on like mine is on glass, they can be on tin or on some other kind of metal. Like there's some really interesting old photographic media that's out there, out there in the world. I would love to see it. So I have two follow up questions. Is it on Instagram or anywhere online? We could see this specific photo. And how did you get this one? Um, I can put it on. I'll put it on Instagram. <laughs> it's not on Instagram at the moment, but I can put it up there. This one is one that I found on eBay. Um, so I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on eBay just because it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of dangerous and I don't want to blow all of my money on, <laughs> on old photos. Although, you know, it would be great too, but I got to hold myself back. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I knew that this was something that I wanted to show my students. And so I just kind of spent some time looking on eBay and found a nice one that was in good condition. That was, you know, a reasonable price. And so I, I bought that one on eBay. That is so cool. But yeah, they're they're pretty easy to find. They're pretty easy to find and they're pretty magical. That's so, so cool. And speaking about restraining yourself, I have to ask this. <laughs> how big is your current collection? Okay. I have tried to, I, in preparation for this, I was like, I need to have an answer to this question. My best guess is between 5,500 and 6,000. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really impressive. Most of them are slides. Yeah, the vast majority of them are slides because that's so that's, you know, just where my my real kind of interest and where I'm drawn to. So 
Yeah. Yeah. A lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, Alex. It's a lot. <laughs> so another follow-up question to that is how do you organize all these photos? Like almost 6,000 of them. How do you organize them? Yeah, that is a really great question. And that's honestly, um, it's, it's the same type of thing that I do for my clients. So what I do with the slides is when I get them in, I'll just kind of walk you through like mm -hmm. how, how this goes when I buy some new slides. So my favorite way to buy slides is to buy a big box sight unseen. So, <laughs> so I will find a big box on eBay, a big box of slides, and it just says 600 slides, variety of subjects. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what I want. So when that arrives to me, I kind of do a cursory look. I look at every single one. I have a big light table. So um, if the light table is kind of clean, I'll, I'll lay all the slides out, just cover the surface and just kind of look at them and do a, a preliminary pass at things that I'm interested in and things that I'm not. The types of photos that I'm interested in are almost always people and almost always like home family photos as opposed to tourist photos or vacation photos. Like I really like just the kind of ordinary, like the revelation of ordinary life. If, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just in a, in a time that, that I didn't experience. I think that's my favorite thing. So if there's a bunch of landscapes, like some, some landscapes stand out, if there's a standout landscape, I'll keep that. But most, what, most of what I keep are, are people interacting. So after I've made that first pass, then I will scan the slides so that I can look at them more closely. And then that's when I really decide if it's something that that is going to fit into, you know, into into the collection as a whole, whether it's something that I want to keep at that point. And then after that, so as I've scanned them, I number them. And the way that I number them is um, according to where where they're going to be stored, because slides are so small they're very easy to store and they don't take up a lot of space. So the way I store them is in archival sleeves. So each sleeve is like a, like a binder page that holds 20 slides. And then that goes into a binder. So the way that I kind of locate them and store them is I, when I scan it, I name each, each image file with the, sleeve page. So that might be like 243 and then a hyphen and then like a, the number one through 20 where it is on that page. So, so most of my slide images, um, when I look at them, when I look at my collection on, on my computer, you know, they're just, it's just a file name. That's a number. And then kind of, as I, as I get more attached to it, then I'll, I'll do things like, um, create an actual title for it. And then that's around the time when I start retouching or repairing if it needs repair. And man, it sounds like such a relaxing <laughs> process. A no, it sounds oh, great. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say it sounds a little obsessive. I've never described it before. So it sounds, I'm glad you said it sounds relaxing. It really is relaxing for me. It's, it's something that I just find so much, like, I just find so much delight in it. You know, it's like there's so many surprises yeah. and I think that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah. Well, like when you look at a photo, you try to figure out what is going on in that event. And speaking of which, I saw two, there's two photos I had to ask. I don't know if you know the mm -hmm. answer, but there's a photo of a man in a pool. Looks like he's falling. It's on Instagram. <laughs> Do you know the backstory of that one? Or it's just. Oh. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know any backstories. <laughs> like most of the photo, most of the slides. Oh, wait. Although the one you're talking about, I actually might know. <laughs> is this on my, on my regular on Sabrina Hughes Instagram? Yeah. Or yeah, not the Picurious. Okay, I'm getting there. The majority, okay, I think I do know which one. And yes, I do have a story behind that one. <laughs> the vast majority of my slides have zero information on them. So mm. they're completely anonymous. You know, sometimes I might get one name, like maybe it's like Bill in the yard or something like that. Sometimes I'll get a location. But you know, when you think about who looks at your family photos, it's usually people who already know who they're looking at. So there's not always a lot of identifying information that goes along with it. Now, the picture that you're describing, 
Is it like he's got his arms outspread and he's kind of like his mouth is open and he's like laughing? Well, there's one man laughing. So there's two people in the pool. I'm trying to look for that photo again. There's two people in the pool and the one behind looks like he's like, you can't see his head. You can just see his (laughs) arm and leg like up in the air. It's like on a floating (laughs) mat. That might have been... Right, right. Yes. Okay. I know the one you're talking about. Yes. Um, no, I don't have any backstory. Behind that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's one of the anonymous anonymous ones that came to me. So when I when I started to say I might have information, I will say that I started buying these slides so that I wouldn't have to use my clients photos. But then I've strangely, I've had a few clients who have found out that I've been kind of putting these slides out there in the world and giving them a second life. And so they've then said, oh, I want you to do that with mine, which has been (laughs) incredible. Like, it's so unexpected. I found the photo you're talking about. And no, I don't know the story. Although if I remember correctly, I think that there were several pictures in that same group of people on that water slide. So I think I think the water slide has something to do with it or maybe a cannonball. (laughs) (laughs) One or the other. Uh, The other photo that I did like, it just... kind of looked like a salesman it was the uh kid with the orange he's like you want to buy this orange oh (laughs) yeah his face looks like he just wants to sell you an orange so for people listening you just got to go check the whole entire page there's some awesome photos there (laughs) yeah that one i again i don't have much of a backstory except to say that i do have many pictures from that family and i don't know you know there's no names on them but some of the captions were written in french and the kid appears in, I have, I have several photos of this kid. And I think I haven't printed this particular photo with the oranges yet, but I think I might because it's just, it's just a really funny picture. And you're not the, you're not the only one who has reacted to that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do need somebody to tell you what the caption is, French is my first language. So uh, I could maybe help you oh, out with that. Oh, okay. Very cool. <laughs> yep. All right. Yeah. Maybe some of the locations and stuff would be helpful. There you go. This is how friendships are made. Now, regarding the actual restoration process, what goes into that whole step by step? Okay, so before anything's restored, I've already made a digital a digital image of it. Everything I do, all of the repair I do is digital repair because I'm not I'm not a conservationist. So I don't know how to actually repair something that's like torn or has water damage on the actual object, but I, I am really good at, um, I have a lot of like a long background in Photoshop and in repairing, doing digital repair through Photoshop. So once I have scanned, once I'm sure that a slide is going to kind of be integrated into the collection, that it's something I'm going to keep, I'll scan it at the highest quality that I possibly can, which currently with my current equipment, allows me to take a 35 millimeter slide. So you know roughly how small that is. And I could print that as large as 18 by 27 inches. So it's it's a pretty, I make the highest quality image that I can so that I can play with size in the future. And then I put it into Photoshop and um, I just, you know, zoom in to 100%. I add a grid over Photoshop over the photo so that I can kind of make sure that I cover every single <laughs> every <laughs> single pixel and I just look for things that need to be touched out to make it perfect and most of the time that's just dust like honestly a lot of the photos that I have are in very good condition probably cuz they've been sitting in someone's closet for years um so a lot of times the restoration is dust removal, which, you know, it's, it's a simple thing to do, but it's, it still takes a lot of time because there's often, you know, a lot of it. I do sometimes, you know, if there's uh, scratches or something like that on a photo that I really like, I can, I can repair those. Sometimes there are photos that are beyond my help. There's an image that is also on my Instagram that is one of the most heartbreaking images I have because it's so perfect, but it has so much water damage on it. But it's this photograph of four women in moo-moos that go down to the ground. So they're all in these very different, brightly colored floral dresses that are like all the way down to their feet. And they have on lays, they must be in Hawaii or something, but they have on these beautiful um, orchid colored lays. And when I saw that photo, I got so excited. I was like, this is, this is amazing and perfect. And then when I looked at it closer and scanned it, it just, it has 
some severe water damage that may not be beyond my skill level, but I'm not sure that it's, I'm not sure that even with a lot of time invested in it, that it would look good, <laughs> you know, like, and because of what the, unfortunately the worst of the damage is on their faces. So that's kind of, you know, touching out <laughs> dust and scratches is one thing, but kind of creating, recreating a face that's been <laughs> wiped out by water is, is kind of, that might actually be beyond my skill level. So, yeah, so that's one that I kind of, you know, I use it, I keep it, I still keep it. It's still one of my favorite images, but I try to do other things with it and kind of, you know, give it life in other ways other than just, you know, making a nice print of it. Well, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this question because you said you had a collection mm -hmm. of photos that are in black and white and some that you mm -hmm. don't restore. You just keep them as is. Have you mm -hmm. ever restored those pictures where you actually added color to them? No, I I personally am, am not really into that. For one thing, I think that that requires a skill set that I don't have. Um, in my opinion, the people who are really good at that are actually people who have experience as painters. And I am not a painter. And I'm talking even, you know, even digitally, even with Photoshop, even the digital restoration, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of skill that goes into adding color from a purely black and white photo that I just don't have. And also I don't, I don't know if that's something that interests me from like a historical perspective, because when I'm teaching history of photography to my students, sometimes I have to, I have to kind of unteach them the habit of looking at a photo and thinking that it's like a window into real life. You know what I mean? Like we can look at a photo and think that that is exactly a picture of, you know, what you're looking at when in actuality, there's a lot of mediations that happen between reality and the picture that we're looking at. And so I think this is a big answer to a small question, but I think that for me, I don't think I necessarily like to make it look more real when it's already demonstrating kind of qualities that that help us help remind us that it's not real. I could I, I, no no I get I get what you mean. It's kind of like uh, you want it to represent its time. It would be kind of like yeah. it'd be weird if you were to like repaint the David by uh, like yeah. in modern colors yeah. or hipster clothes. I don't, I'm no 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 insult to hipsters, but I'm saying. Like it, it should be valued for what it is for the time it's been made. Sure, and exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think there is some value. I think there's value to experiencing it how it is. And you know, that's not to that's not to say that people that do the colorization, there are some people that are highly skilled, but it is a it is an extremely time consuming process. And I actually found if I can think of it, then I'll find the link again and send it to you for the show notes. But I used to. I found once a time lapse of someone who is a very skilled colorization artist and the amount of time that it takes on one photo is just, that's just not, that's not where my personal interest lies. And also I would be terrible at it. <laughs> hey, um, you, you, you're, you're a lot better than me. I, you have a lot of skills from the pictures I see. You restore them pretty well. And you're really good Thanks. at capturing the story in the picture. I know it's not a window mm. and I know I'm, mm -hmm. I wish I was a student so you could teach me all your lessons about how to do vintage <laughs> photography and maintain it. But I do appreciate it as a beginner perspective. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, the other thing I think is really cool is that these are objects that are that have come to us, you know, in some cases from almost 200 years ago, definitely a lot from more than a century ago. and so you know, again, I'm, I'm an art historian. So it's like, I really like the kind of materiality of, of what comes to me in whatever form, you know, like sometimes they're torn. That's okay. Like they don't have to be, they don't necessarily have to be perfect. You know, the image and the story is what attracts me. And just even the fact that even if I get a photo and it's damaged, but it's something that speaks to me, the fact that that piece of paper, you know, has kind of survived, you know, photos are really delicate. Like the fact that a piece of paper has survived decades and ended up in my hands is kind of a miracle. 
And like, that's, that's, that's what I like about it. You're almost scared that it'll just start crumbling away at the moment you pick oh it up. Oh my gosh. I know some of them, that's a danger with some of them. I don't have any that delicate, but I've seen them in my clients. Some of my clients have had some that are very, very delicate. No, I could be wrong, but I would imagine that sometimes you use gloves. So the oil on your finger does not go onto the photo. I could be wrong. Is that something you do? There's a, yeah, there's, there's several different ideologies about this. And I personally am not a glove user and I will tell you why. And it's because even the, even the kind of, you know, the gloves that are made for handling art aren't really great for handling thin pieces of paper, which is what photos are. So in my, in my experience, it can be hard to pick up a photograph when I'm wearing gloves. So what I use is the clean hands method. I just, um, I wash my hands often. I hold the photos when they're just the paper photos. I hold them on the outsides so that my fingers aren't touching the emulsion or possibly leaving fingerprints or oils. And I clean, I, when, when I don't want to touch something completely, I have some tools that help me lift the photos off of whatever they're sitting on. So I don't have to touch the edges either, because sometimes the edges are the delicate parts. So yeah, I have my methods generally do not include gloves just because I feel I feel much more clumsy with the gloves on than than just making sure that I have clean, dry hands. Now that makes sense. So now I know that I know, don't need to buy gloves <laughs> to handle my grandparents' photos because Sabrina <laughs> no, told me so. you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, Save some money. yeah, I'm a photo historian. Yeah. yeah, I'm the expert said, just wash your hands. That's yeah, all. exactly. Just I only them. get experts on yep. my show. <laughs> <laughs> I am the one who's learning this. I'm the non-expert. That's why I'm having, having yeah. everybody here to learn. <laughs> now, speaking about being an expert, uh, what would you say is the best way to maintain the quality of a photo for years and years to come? I know putting it in direct sunlight is not mm. good and humid places mm -hmm. can be pretty bad as well. What's your mm -hmm. additional things you could say? Um, additionally, I would say um, don't don't put them in albums, put them into archival boxes. Uh, I'm not sure about finding those archival boxes like at retail stores. I will say, you know, who has archival boxes is um, the container store. But I also I order mine from a shop online that sells those archival storage products to museums. So um, I have a big trust factor with them. I use archival methods and there's a lot of different sizes. There's, you know, kind of once you find once you find um, something that, you know, is a safe product, then you can go into any type of size that works best for your storage situation. So my slides are in the archival sleeves that I mentioned, and then they're just in binders. They're in a room that doesn't get a whole lot of light and that has, you know, air conditioning, regular climate control. And then the photos that aren't slides, the ones that are actually prints are just um, in a photo, photo safe archival box. And yeah, I keep them. I, I try to keep, oh, you know what else is really helpful in the boxes is to put one of those um, silica gel pocket packets that come in like your shoes and stuff like that. I was just <laughs> you know, thinking the ones that. I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The simplest way to balance the humidity um, inside of the box. So I throw a few of those in. It's good to not use Rubbermaids. Um, because those can create what's called a microclimate. So you can actually trap humidity in, in a box, in a plastic situation. So the archival cardboard, well, it's not cardboard, but the archival board boxes are better because they can kind of breathe a little bit. And yeah, keep them away from water. Yes. <laughs> My grandmother, <laughs> I, I actually, I tell this story a lot that I think part of the reason why I'm so interested in other people's family photos is that I actually don't have that many photos of my own family because my grandma, uh, bless her heart, thought she was doing the right thing by storing all of our family photos in her closet, which sounds like a great idea, except it was the closet with the hot water heater oh. and the hot water heater exploded and we lost countless, countless family photos. We have very, very few family photos from that side of the family. So, um, yeah, it's a real, it's a tragedy that can be avoided. So 
um, yeah, but keep them away from <laughs> away from hot water heaters. <laughs> yeah, well, we know um, that now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my number one advice. Don't put it with the hot water heater. <laughs> now, this might be a stupid and ignorant question to ask, but if you don't have the little silicone bag, would rice in a container work? Just put it in there. I mean, maybe, maybe. I haven't tried it. As long as it doesn't attract bugs, uh, it's possible. Yeah, keep the bugs <laughs> out of there. The, yeah, I used to collect, like whenever I would find one of those one of those silicate packets, I would I would put it in a stash. And then I realized like, wait, somebody's, they, these have got to be purchasable somewhere. <laughs> and of course they are. So then I just bought myself a huge packet of them. So yeah, just buy some. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm sure they're not that expensive. If they come with, you, they're you not. buy a pair of shoes and you get a free one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> now, what would you say is the best part about being a vintage photo collector? Oh, for me personally, it's like rediscovering stories. Like I don't, you know, I don't know the stories. I don't know the actual stories of what, what, what is happening in these photos, but the ones that I'm drawn to invite a story, like they invite you, just like you asked about the guy in the pool, like they invite you to wonder what was happening. Where is this? Who are these people? What are they doing? And so for me, you know, this obviously has to do with my, my interest in in it from a from an academic standpoint as a photo historian, but it's also from a, you know, just like a human standpoint, like the fact that we have the ability to record our lives this way and that we have we have the possibility of our lives, our our image and fragments of our lives like living on in a different way. And, you know, in the case of what I do with with mine, they can live on as art which is, I think, just the most kind of amazing, amazing thing to, to kind of facilitate um, something so ordinary being seen in a different way. And I bet you it's even more interesting when you have multiple photos from that same event. So it kind of like does this yes. like slideshow in your head. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's I have an idea for a project that I really want to do in the future. And um, it's not... Uh, it's, I really, you know, so I have 5,000 photos, the ones that are going to be part of my sort of artistic practice and my art project is a, a very small fraction of that. Cause those are the ones that are just kind of like perfect in some way, but the experience of looking at a slideshow from a slide projector is something that is lost. And it's something that experience, I'm really interested in finding a way to recreate that experience online. Like even with the sounds of, you know, the whir of the fan from a slide projector and like the, that ka-chunk sound that it makes when it advances. Like, <laughs> oh God, yeah. I love that, you know, like, yeah, it's really cool. And so that's actually kind of a, an art project that I, that I hope to do in the future. It just requires a little bit, a little bit more technical know-how than I personally have. So I would have to enlist some, you know, the help of some pretty, uh, I don't know, some, some web designers who are up for an adventure. Whoever's listening, if you're interested, you know, just right. uh... <laughs> contact me. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, you know, that experience, I'm, I'm interested in that experience of it too. Cause you know, you think about the way you look at a slide, the, at a slide carousel or slide, you know, your slide photos, you would be in the dark you would be probably not by yourself. You know, it's very different than looking at a photo album, which is kind of made, you know, the album is made for one or two people to look at at a time. You're, you're looking at it like a book, you're sharing the book on your lap and you're kind of looking at it together. But the experience of looking at um, slides is a little bit different because it's a little more, it's a little more akin to almost like a, a cinematic experience because there's usually more people, you're in the dark, you're looking at this very bright, colorful image projected on the wall and it's bigger, you know, it's like, it's, it's something small in real life, but then you're, you get to see it magnified so many times. Like, that's really cool to me too. And that's, that's, you know, as, as the media changes, that whole experience is just something that is of the past and is completely lost. The last time I think I saw a slide in a movie was in the movie It. And it wasn't in like, yeah. it wasn't in like a relaxing context. It was in a horror context and the right. slide came to life. 
but it was like cool to just see that little moment at the beginning and then the clown came out you're like okay now slides have clowns that can come out great <laughs> i loved that I, when i saw that scene i was like this is incredible what a great what a great way to introduce people to slides like think about how many kids may have seen that who have never been who've never experienced slides before now will this encourage <laughs> them to go for it? <laughs> exactly will they be like encouraged <laughs> right. to go try slides or like just like nope clowns come out of them i don't trust them right <laughs> Must have been like that feeling people had when they went to go see a movie the first time in movie, like when movie theaters came out. Yeah, I think it was like a movie of a train. They thought the train was coming at them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so cool to think about something that we are so accustomed to, like photography, mm -hmm. like to try and think about what it was like to experience that media for the first time. Like, I, you know, it's like it's unfathomable. It's such a part of our lives now. And like back then, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but back then you had to sit like for like the first photo or first camera, you had to stand still for a while. It's no long. It wasn't like just <laughs> and it's done. You had right, to stay correct. solid. Yeah, exactly. Minutes. Yeah, minutes, minutes. <laughs> and I could be wrong too, but I feel like smiling wasn't really done as well because they wanted to do more. Not for like the 1980s. I mean, like older, older, older photos. Yeah. It was more serious because. Right. The 19th century. Yeah. Like when when photography was first invented, a lot of the sort of conventions of what a photographic portrait should look like were borrowed from painting. And so in addition to the fact that you had to hold yourself steady for um, an uncomfortable amount of time. So you, you really needed your face to be in a relaxed position, but you know, additionally, people would not have thought to smile for a formal portrait because in the painting tradition, you know, if you're smiling in a painting, you were, you were being portrayed as a drunk person or mm -hmm. someone who had lost their mind, you know, it just, <laughs> it didn't have that same sense of dignity. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a couple of reasons why, um, why there was no smiling. And you know, something that's really interesting to me too, is that, you know how we say cheese yeah. when, when we're about to have our picture taken? Well, you know that you, they say, say cheese because that makes your smile muscles, right? Like it's, it replicates the same muscles as when you're smiling cheese. So in the early 20, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, they would tell people to say prune, prune. because that makes your mouth, <laughs> right? You can feel it, I right? I just like, felt it, yeah. It kind of, yeah, prune. Like, so it, it activates a different set of muscles in your face that created the expression that was more desirable then. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. Here I am. I'm just <laughs> here behind the mic, like just practicing other words to see what shape it makes. <laughs> That's right, cool. right. <laughs> Actually, on a morbid side, this is like, kind of just popped in my head because I know I did some research a while back. They used to take mm -hmm. pictures of, let's say, recently deceased children mm -hmm. or stuff like that. Did you ever do you have any photos like that? It's a really weird question. But uh, or do you know of that? I, I do know of that postmortem photography was it, it was uh, very common. And it was you, there's you know, I'm not going <laughs> to. I won't bore you with the history <laughs> no, 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 no. of you death practices. Share, share in everything. This is times, interesting. This is all about you. You share yeah, whatever you want to share. Yeah. We, in this time period, we have a very different relationship with death and with the recently deceased. And a lot of times, you know, nowadays when someone passes away, they might be in a hospital. Or even if they pass away at home, you know, they kind of get taken away in an ambulance. Like they don't stay in the home they are located elsewhere for the next step in that body's journey after death. So in Victorian times, it was much more common, you know, people passed away at home much more often. And it was much more common for them to for the body to stay in the home for a little while, like maybe up to a week or so, so that the sense of of having a picture of a corpse didn't signify the same way then that it does now. For mm -hmm. us now, it's a little eerie and maybe a little creepy, but then it was just kind of, it was normal. And so with photography, you know, especially with children, the infant mortality rate was higher than it is now, uh, generally speaking. And so when photography was new, sometimes that picture of someone after they had passed away might be the only picture you got of that person. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty common. And and there's also a cool pictures where someone took their own portrait, you know, had their sat for their formal portrait while they're holding a picture of one of their family members who's deceased. Like, 
it has all these kind of like layers of, you know, it was, it was a very, it would have been a very precious object for people. So yeah, they exist. They're cool. They are highly collectible. I don't own any because they are very expensive. Like people really, people who are more serious collectors than me and who have deeper pockets than me are like postmortem photos are highly collectible. That's cool. I yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm knocking on wood that you get one for your collection. Maybe right after we're done <laughs> this episode, you just like <laughs> slits through your door, like oh, there it is. Yeah. Kind of creepy that you just great. get one out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, sometimes you just gotta say you're looking for one, and then and then they come to you. You know. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Just just it just pop out of nowhere. Comes out of you like it would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now staying on the let's say darker side of things, I know it might be a little mm-hmm. hard to uh, answer this question, but. What are some misconceptions about people who collect vintage photos or even just collectors in general? Yeah, I don't, so I'm going to answer this kind of from a perspective of my myself. Uh, I don't I never have really interacted much with collectors in general. I mean, I I worked at a museum, so I guess I interacted with art collectors there and then, but I'm going to just kind of say I have some misconceptions about myself as a collector. Okay, yeah, hit me with it. <laughs> Which is to say that most of my life, I I would have, I, I didn't collect anything. I never collected anything until I started collecting photos, which is so funny. I mean, I guess that's probably how it happens for a lot of people. But, you know, I always had friends, like, since childhood, where it's like, oh, yeah, I collect, you know, I collect tea sets and I collect whatever. And I always kind of felt... Um, almost like an outsider because I just, I didn't want a whole lot of stuff. Like even into my young adulthood, even into my twenties and thirties, I just kind of felt like that's just stuff. Like, how are they attached to that? What is, what is the emotional connection there? So it, it was actually kind of shocking to me when I realized that like, oh, I'm, I'm actually kind of emotional about this now. Like I, I have not yet done this, but I very often think that I need to make a will. I need to make a will for the first time in my life because I care about what happens to these photos if something happens to me, which is kind of new. Like it's, it's a very new feeling for me to sort of have an emotional attachment to, um, to, to these objects. But, um, I think that's for me, that's kind of part of the, part of why they connected with me and part of why I, part of why that's what, what I collect is that it struck the right emotional chord and it just kind of hit me at the right time and hit the right emotion. And so now, now I love them and now, now I need to provide for them. <laughs> I, I completely understand what you mean. It's like, if you, once you pass away, you want it to go to the right person so they can preserve it mm-hmm. and cherish it as much as you do. Yeah. And maybe continue the art project too, you know, like maybe, maybe it even has a life longer than mine, which is cool. Yeah. That's exactly what the feeling I get with this podcast. Like I want to make it so after I'm done, people from the future can listen to it. It's like, wow, people in like 2020 had these hobbies. They were all, and this is what they were passionate about. So they continuously learn. So we're we're the same person. (laughs) We are. Yeah. And you know, actually what you're doing, that's, that's actually really important for future historians. Yes, it really is. You know, like it's super important for future historians because they're going to like, yeah, when things don't exist anymore, they need to know how did people use these things, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's actually that's a really good perspective and and it will absolutely live on. Well, you're contributing contributing to this right now by sharing your hobby, which is fantastic. And another random question that popped in my head. (laughs) It happens so often. I know I didn't write all these down, as you may have noticed. Mm -hmm. But has oh, it, that was totally cool. <laughs> has it ever happened to you that you're just living your everyday life and you I wouldn't necessarily call it a deja vu, but you something that happens reminds you of a specific photo that you have in your collection? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that has happened. I actually uh, one one specific example of this is one of my other friends who's an artist and who's a photographer. Her name is uh, Selena Roman. And she's a fantastic photographer and, um, she is also from Florida. And so she has, she just has these kind of, um, motifs that reappear in her work. And I remember seeing a photograph that she made where it was just someone in a specific bathing cap. And I don't think, you know, like a swimming cap, like a vintage swimming cap. And this, I don't think the cap was even vintage. It was just a cool, a cool swimming cap that, you know, the way she had it on her model was it just 
it made me flash to this photo that I had just seen a slide of a young child, like a young girl, like maybe eight, who is getting out of a pool and you can't see her face. It's actually, it's on my Instagram too, but um, you might have to scroll for it, but it's on there somewhere. But she's, yeah, (laughs) she's in a pink bathing suit and she's walking, she's kind of climbing out of the pool, heading towards the camera. So the person taking her picture was, you know, facing her, but she's looking away. So you don't see her face. You just see this pink bathing cap and her pink bathing suit and the blue of the pool. And you, there's also some like um, mid-century modern, like architectural details, like the mid-century modern breeze blocks are in the background. And yeah, as soon as I saw the picture that Selena had made, I immediately was like, oh, I have to show her this picture because they are so similar in just that feeling. They're creating the same feeling. That's all. Okay. I, I, have to, I was looking through it. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to find it right now. I got to focus on <laughs> Sabrina and you right now. Okay. But I am going to go back and look at it for sure. Uh, so for you, what would you say, or sorry, how did collecting vintage photos have an impact on your perspective on life? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like this whole conversation is kind of the answer to that question. It's, it's really, I think that it, it has definitely made me more interested in individual stories. Like I, I had someone contact me through someone who knew what I did, who knew, who knows what I do for clients that I help them preserve their family photos. And she referred me to this, this woman who was moving from her retirement home, sorry, from uh, the home she was living in into a retirement home. I'm in Florida. So there's a lot of assisted living facilities. So she was moving into an assisted living facility. She was not married and she didn't have any kids. And she used to during, she was a teacher when, before she was retired, she was a school teacher. And there was a period for like five or six years where every summer she would go to Kenya Like she went to Kenya once, just fell in love with Kenya, something connected there with her. And so for four or five years, she went back to Kenya. And so she had these slides of her her vacations to Kenya, and she didn't know what to do with them. And so, you know, the word got back to me that she had these slides. And so I called her and I said, would you like me to digitize them for you? And she said, no, honestly... Um, I've, you know, I've, I don't need to look at them anymore. I just don't want to throw them away. So you can do what, whatever you want with them. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take them and I'm going to, I'm going to scan them and I'm going to put them on the internet. And she was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and I did that. And I wrote a little blog post about it and I just put her pictures up on the internet. And, you know, it was just such an amazing opportunity to connect with her at this stage at her life, which, you know, I've, I've never really considered myself a people person. Like, I, I don't know, like, I'm kind of an introvert. And so, you know, it's also, I think being able to talk to people about their photos has made me, you know, it gives you some common ground to easily start relationships with people and easily start connect connecting with people. So, she gave me these photos and I posted some on the internet and people were just over the moon about seeing them. Like they just loved the whole story that she gave them to me and, and everything. And then this picture is also on, on Instagram, someone, an artist, a painter who follows me and who I follow on Instagram. Um, they're a painter who paints from vintage photos. So it's like the vintage photos are their inspiration And so he found this picture that I had posted on the internet and on my Instagram and he made a painting of it. That's cool. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's amazing to me how, you know, we all have these photos, but even with our own family photos, we can sometimes feel emotionally disconnected from them. But I I think that there's a lot of ways to reinvest them with emotion and re reconnect them to, you know, even if I'm not reconnecting those photos to her because she's reconnect you know, her story with just strangers is amazing. Like, that's so cool. So yeah, I guess it's, it's had a huge impact on my perspective on life. It's, it's made me think kind of about longer time frames than just what I've experienced. You know, like I think a lot about times before what I've experienced and times that will happen that, that are going to come after what I experience. And like how that's going to impact how that how that ripples out, you know, it's like it ripples out in ways that you can't even predict. And I also I guess it, would, I, it also brings in that human aspect. Everybody, everybody lives a normal life or 
everybody's human at the end of the day. And those photos do really represent that. And I like how mm-hmm. you take these photos of more like candid photos of just everyday life. They're cool. Yeah, that's no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Flipping from the cool and relaxed side. Has collecting vintage photos ever stressed you out? That's the opposite of cool and relaxed. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't stress me out, but I can get a little fixated when I'm when I'm in like get photos and I'm unboxing them and kind of feeling like I really just want to see them all. I can get a little fixated on feeling like I need to, okay, I need to look at them all as fast as I can so I can see what I have and so I can find those like those magical surprises. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe that has stressed me out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't take enough breaks and I kind of am hunched over my light table for much too long. But yeah, it's, it's coming out of anticipation of what I'm going to see and what, what kind of surprises I'm going to find. <laughs> We're the same, same person, guaranteed. <laughs> now, being hunched over, what was your biggest challenge when you first started your hobby? I don't know. You know, it, it snuck up on me. I didn't, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it as something I was starting. So I think that maybe, and maybe that's a good thing because maybe I didn't like overthink, you know, uh, I didn't overthink like what, what was this hobby going to be or what was my collection going to look at? It just kind of grew organically and snuck up on me. So I'm not sure that I had, that I've had a challenge. And luckily, like I, like I said earlier, luckily, my collection is very easy to store because slides are small. So 5,000 slides doesn't take up that much space. I could see if I keep at this, I could see space potentially becoming a challenge, but I'm, I'm not there yet. (laughs) And hopefully I won't get there. I mean, I think, you know, the other part of what I like to do with these is, you know, I, I do have a background in the curatorial departments of museums. So I, I try to be pretty good at, you know, not hanging on to things that aren't going to be useful for me in future projects. So hopefully space won't become an issue. (laughs) Well, if space is not an issue, what would be your current challenge today? Mm, My current challenge is having so many wonderful images that are just waiting. Like I have, I have several boxes of slides that I haven't even looked at yet. <laughs> They're just waiting for you. They want to be. They're just seen waiting. By you. <laughs> yeah, that's my current. My current challenge is is kind of not letting myself get swept away in the excitement of that, and just kind of trying to regulate it and. Yeah, like not not let it become an obsession that takes me away from the things I need to do so I can keep buying slides. <laughs> With your infinite wisdom of vintage photography, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? No, just do it. Like if you think you might be interested in it, just just buy a few pictures and see if you connect to them. Like there's there's a very low cost of entry into collecting vintage photos, you know, and even as you know, as art, like people who might be interested in collecting art might want to start with photography, with vintage photography, because honestly, you know, museums are collecting, are collecting vintage photos as well. So they are absolutely art objects that participate in, you know, the kind of larger art discourse and It's a very easy way to start getting into collecting art if you're into that. Um, So it kind of has, it it can kind of be a gateway to several different things. But yeah, I would say just do it. Like it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have any kind of special equipment. You don't have to have anything. Just go to, go to a pawn shop, go to, or sorry, not a pawn shop. I don't see them there, but go to an estate sale, go to yard sales. You know, if you see a photo album, just buy it. Like just start. (laughs) Yeah, you never know what you're going to find. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. Actually, my very first, my very first vintage photos that I ever bought, I found at, and I just remembered this because I found them at a thrift store. And at the time I didn't, I just knew, I knew I wanted them, but I didn't have, this was like in the, in the early 2000s. I didn't have a way to digitize them. I didn't even have a way to look at them. But I just saw them and I was like, I think, I think I should buy those because they're here. And, and I just, I felt like, you know, there was only like five of them or something, but I just thought like, I think I should buy these. And then I was actually afraid I had lost them when I started looking for stock photos. I couldn't find them. And, um, that's why, and that's part of why I started buying, but then they turned up. So I didn't lose them. And, uh, 
yeah, like what a funny way for that to reoccur. Like I couldn't have expected it. That's so cool. It looks like it's just they, they were calling for you. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again so people who are refreshed. Do you have any links or websites or projects or anything like that you'd like to share so people can learn more about you and your passion? Now that I've been talking for a while, I will drop some of those specific links because we've mentioned my Instagram a few times. So I'm Sabrina Hughes on Instagram, just all one word. And I have a second Instagram, which is my curatorial project that I, it's what I do. It's the art that I do with these vintage photos and it's called the Pecurious. So it's P I C U R I O U S. And then just the, in front of it, the Pecurious. And so that's where, um, that Instagram is solely vintage photos. And so if what you see on my regular Instagram, if you like it and you want to see more, that's where I post like the best of the best. And those are the ones that I, that I've spent time retouching and that I create art prints from. So those are available if anybody's interested in owning, if one speaks to you and you're like, I need that in my house, then <laughs> that's where you can get that. And then I'll just, I'll just say again, um, hello dot photo dot net. You can get to both Instagrams from there and you can also see more about what I do for my clients. Um, you can find my own podcast, which is brand new. Oh, um, yeah, maybe I can have you on my podcast. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. <laughs> the podcast is called ambient light and I'm, I'm really into just getting, getting people to talk about one of their photos that, that they connect with like one picture from your past, like one picture from your family. And, um, it's fledgling. I only have like six episodes up. It's very brand new, but I'm really, really excited about the response I've gotten so far. Just people get really excited to talk about a picture once you, you know, you're, you've got it in front of you and you have like 30 minutes or an hour to just really dive into it. It's super fun. Yeah. So anyway, hello.photoxo.net is where you can find basically everything, all of my numerous sort of tentacles of, of my business and art projects. That's perfect. I'll put all that information in the description below so people can go check it out, follow, support, share and everything above. I'm so happy you have a podcast. I'm going to go check it out. And if you want me on, I already have a picture in mind. There's a picture of me that I find it hilarious. It's me as a kid on the table eating Cheerios, but I'm asleep and I still have a Cheerio in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't perfect. finish chewing. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll, I'll send it to you after uh, this episode so you see how ridiculous I look. Um, so oh, yes. that's great. <laughs> For the last question, <laughs> it's a question that, um, you know what, I, I feel prepared, as I say for every episode, but I'm never prepared. Do you have any questions for me about collecting vintage photos? Do you want to do it now that we've talked about it? Are you into, are you going to search out some some vintage photos? Well, it's interesting you asked that because uh, a, few, a few years ago, what I started to do is I went through all my family photo, photo albums and I wanted to make like a special thing where I would put it on a USB so I can share it to my grandma, grandmother, my, my grandfather, my parents and stuff like that. And I've gone probably like a thousand photos and then I started organizing it and things got in the way and then I just didn't have the chance. I do want to complete it. But yeah, like it was just like hard trying to figure out. I wanted to date them and organize that. Yes. <laughs> and I, because what also I found is that my parents, while I was searching for all that, my parents had some old VHS cassettes of videos yes. of like us as kids and growing up and stuff like that and their, their wedding. And it made me like realize like when I look back at it, I'm like, whoa, my dad looks like me. He had an Afro oh. at one point. I have an Afro or not anymore. I used to have an Afro. And it was just like, whoa. They're human, like it humanizes everybody. They're no longer like just your right. parents. They're like, they were once my age. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a project on Instagram that I really like, and I can't recall the name of it right now, but I'll send it to you for the show notes. But it's, it's people sending in pictures, sharing pictures of their moms before they were moms. And it is chilling like it's a fascinating project and then they write a little bit you know the whoever submits it writes a little bit about their mom and what's going on in the picture and it is just like yeah thinking about your parents lives before you were in it is just like oh dizzying it is dizzying <laughs> it's crazy it's like yeah 
we're different, but the same at the same time. It sounds weird yes, saying that, but yeah. Right. right. No, I know. I know. It's really cool. You know, something that I enjoy about looking through family photos and, you know, I get this more with my clients than, than with the, the photos I collect because the ones I collect are just sort of random. But when I'm, when I get to see several generations worth of photos that a client may have, it's so cool to see like resemblances and how they pop up over time. And like, it just makes you think about genetics and being mm-hmm. human. And, you know, I mean, it is wild. It can get kind of existential if you spend too much time with photography. <laughs> but it's so relaxing. I love doing it. Just going through it. It just goes back through nostalgic <laughs> memories, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I can go on for for a long time talking about this. Me now, too. I, just, I feel like I just want to go like look at albums now. Ugh. But oh, good. <laughs> you should. You're a good influence, that's for sure. Yay, awesome. <laughs> so there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for coming on and just going through time of photos with me. And just I have a big stupid smile on right now. I just love it so much. Me too. I'm grinning so big. Thank you so much, <laughs> Alex. This has been so much fun. And if you guys want to learn more about Sabrina, by all means, go check her out on the links I will put in the description below. Support her, share like thumbs up everything and anything and if you'd like to be on this podcast you can send me an email at time for your hobby at gmail.com or you can even ask questions and as of today but by the time this episode is released it's gonna be as of like what two months ago i am selling merchandise now with time for your hobo, uh not time for your hobo time for your hobby uh logo <laughs> on it so you can have like a time for your hobby shirt when you're doing your hobby or you have a time for hobby mug they sell also shower curtains i don't think you need Time for your hobby shower curtains. I don't see the relevance, but if you're into that, hey, there it is. And if you like the podcast, you can leave a review, share with friends. That always helps. And uh, if you think somebody is going through a hard time and you want to share this with them in hopes that it helps, by all means, share with them because maybe collecting vintage photo will spark a new joy, new energy and happiness. (laughs) So once again, thank you so much, Sabrina. Thanks, Alex. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. (laughs) 